0: Listener production. We are back with another episode chatting with Kat Harris today all the way from the US of A. She is the author of a book called Sexless in the City. She talks about growing up in the South of America with a strict church upbringing and how she didn't really question the rules until she did start to question the rules of her upbringing. She talks about why she started that process and how she got to a turning point and paved a new path for herself. We talk to her about taking ownership of the situation that we're in at any given point in our lives and we also talk about the pressure to couple up. We learn also, and how about this, that there is no such thing as casual sex. Mm -hmm. And just a warning, I'm here recording this because we did have some technological problems and as we say, technology, why not for girls? There's a few gremlins in the machine, so thanks for sticking with us. Hi, my name
1: is Kat Harris and I'm so excited to connect with y'all and just talk about hopefully just really wonderful and real things and singleness and dating and sexuality and any sort of elephant
2: in the room that you guys want to talk about. I'm here for it. it.
1: Love it. Well,
2: I think straight up, you've written a book called Sexless in the City, Mm -hmm. Why? (laughs) <laughs> Maybe we just start. Why? 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 Did you write that? Yeah. Why I mean, would I you ever
1: write something like that? <laughs> well, my personal story is one where I grew up in so the in the South is what we call it in the U.S. The South is you know all the cowboys and churches and football and you know all of that good stuff. Clambakes?
0: Is it clambakes? Oh Bakes? yeah.
1: Um, Not where I'm from because there's no ocean. It's more like barbecue and hot dogs and burgers and Tex-Mex chips and salsa and burritos and rice and beans and stuff like that. Cowboy hats, all the things. So I grew up in the South, which is very conservative Christian and... I grew up in church culture and was taught a lot of very strict rules about dating, about my body, about what it means to be a woman, about sexuality, about my sexual desire, about physical boundaries in dating. And I never really questioned those really until I moved to New York um, upwards of a decade ago. And I moved to New York and dated more in one year than I had in a decade. (laughs) And pretty much I I started questioning everything, what I believed about God, sexuality, dating, masturbation, (laughs) really everything that had to do with dating and sexuality. And so I went on a journey of discovery to really sort of dismantle and deconstruct some damaging narratives that I received growing up from church and culture, and then rebuild a new sexual ethic that was really just rooted in freedom and wholeness and from the inside out, as opposed to external pressure or I should do this or I shouldn't do this or culture wants me to do this and the church doesn't want me to do this, but what do I want? And what are my boundaries? And so sexless in the city is really my story of unpacking all of that stuff and asking hard questions and trying to figure out what in the heck I believe.
2: (laughs) That was my question. How do you unpack all of that? Because obviously it's interesting. We know what we know, we we believe what we believe until we actually then start to question that and go, hang on. Mm. And it does take, I think, removal of yourself from uh, whether it's an establishment or a political view or whatever it might be, you can't really do that when you're in it. You need to be able to take that bird's eye view to to have that perspective. and I'm assuming that taking yourself out of that that culture and that environment allowed when you did move allowed you to start to see things a little bit differently.
1: Yeah, it definitely did. And I think for me, it started with getting curious. How did I get here? <laughs> mm. And why did I get here? Why am I making the decisions that I'm making and dating? And why am I not making certain decisions, whether that had to do with physical boundaries or sex, or even just how I viewed my body as a woman and who culture told me to be or who the establishment told me to be. And so really it was me pausing and realizing I had not I didn't really have an internal motivator. Everything and every way that I was showing up in dating and in my sexual experiences were very connected to what other people thought I should do or people that I respected and just absorbing their beliefs. And so, yeah, it took, it, it, it was one of those things where I was like, Oh, I'm going to like sit down and journal for 30 (laughs) minutes and figure out what I believe about all of this. And then literally seven years later, (laughs) I was still researching and reading and I'm definitely a big question asker and a big why person. And so it's it's almost, this journey for me was almost like when you're, you say, oh, I just need to check my email real quick. I just need to send that one email. And then you send the one email and then that opens up 50 more things Mm -hmm. for you to do. It was like, oh, I have this one question. And then it turned into a hundred more questions and reading tons of books and researching and Talking to people all over the world about what they believed about God and sex and really
0: everything in between. Can I ask you a question about how you felt when you started to step out of what you believed was the way to behave? Mm -hmm. You know, I can imagine stepping into New York and it's a completely different world, It's its own world, really, isn't it, New York? And so the belief systems and everything were so different. How? Like how many times did you date somebody before you went, actually, I'm comfortable in this new environment? Oh my goodness.
1: I mean, like I said, that journey for me was, it was years long. It was, it wasn't just, oh my gosh, let me figure out what I believe about this. Let me deconstruct and figure out a new healthy sexual ethic. It wasn't, a three-step process or an overnight (laughs) experience. It took years. And what that meant for me was being willing to be in process and really fumble my way forward. And so it wasn't like, oh, this date, I was in total bondage to a belief system. And the next date, I was completely different. It was kind of two steps forward, two steps back, a couple hops this way, a couple trips (laughs) this way, and really kind of being in process and letting myself or giving myself the permission to figure it out and realizing I don't have to be perfect or have to have arrived before showing up and before like I think so much of love and dating and figuring out what you do and do not want unfolds as we're doing the thing,
2: as we're dating and as we're out there. Mm, I think that's that, how it was for me. Yeah, I can I can totally understand that. I think the other thing too is that it, it at first, I guess, probably felt very uh, almost rebellious to a degree. I wonder, I'm asking the question, to a point where you continue to just be curious or be kind enough to yourself to be curious enough to a point where you could let go of what everybody else had expected of you um, to come up with those answers yourself. And then I want to understand also, you know, I would imagine that there's some freedom with that too when you actually go, hang on a minute, uh, this I can, this is like... Yeah, the world's not ending. It's okay. (laughs) Yeah, I want to hear about that. Yeah.
1: So I don't know that in the moment it felt rebellious, but then I say that and I, I've always just kind of had a natural, uh, like, don't tell me who to be. <laughs> don't tell me what to say. And if, if someone tells me something, I'm I, like I said, I'm just a why person. And so I don't know that it felt rebellious. I just was at a point in my life where I couldn't go further without figuring this stuff out. I couldn't take another step. I was really at a fork in the road where it was like, okay, I'm either going this way or this way or I'm paving a new path here. And so it wasn't necessarily rebellion that I felt as much as it was, I need to figure this out. So there is no moving forward. Now, I will say that people in my life felt some of them felt very scared and threatened that I was challenging Mm. the system and challenging what I was taught growing up in the church. But my, my core, my community was with me every step of the way and really challenged me to not be flipping about this area of my life that really like love and my body and relationships and how I want to show up is like, that is how I, when, when I figured that stuff out, that's how I get to show up with informed consent. That's how I get to show up taking responsibility over my sexuality and over my desire. So I would say there were a lot of people in the church that felt, ah, you're <laughs> just talking about sex all the time now and asking all these awkward questions about masturbation. But to my core people, I had so much support because I knew my heart.
0: I wonder these days, I mean, Nat and I are kind of like cliches in lots of ways. We've both been with our husbands for many years, and the idea of being single is in the past for us. But for a lot of women, and when and when we were sort of in our twenties, there was a desire to be coupled up mostly. But is it different now for women? Do you think we've reached the point where being single is something you can own and be happy with without feeling the pressure otherwise?
1: I think no matter when or where that we can take ownership over whatever season of life we're in. I think that there is pressure on women in a way that there's not pressure on men. And I think it's been like that for thousands of years there's pressure for women to get married in a way that men just don't experience or to couple up Mm. women, culturally speaking are not given the permission to be sexual in the way that men are. If a man dates around or has casual sex, he is viewed as the man, a player. And Ooh, like uh, a challenge, a woman, who is connected to her sexuality and dating around is viewed as a whore or easy or a slut. And so I think there's, there are so many discrepancies. And I think that I'm 36 and I'm still single. And I get asked, it it almost seems like a million times a day. Now, how are you still single? (laughs) I can't believe you haven't been snatched up yet. And listen, I want that. I'm would love to have a partner and feel excited for when that time comes. But my guy friends, my same age and older, never get asked that question. No, nice. It's like, oh, he's, he's so in his seed. He's building his career. He's building a name for himself. But me, 36 years old and running two successful businesses, it's almost like there's a question underneath the questions that I get often. And it's, is there something wrong with her? What's there? Is there something off? Is there something that we don't know? And so I think that pressure is there for all women or most women. And I think that pressure has been there for centuries. And so something that I feel really strongly about is really rewriting the narrative. I think because a lot of women, myself included, desire intimacy and desire partnership and relationship, it can almost feel like I'm a second-class citizen to the married folks or that my life will really start when I meet my person or, you know, I can have my fun little business now, but it's really my life goal is love and romance. And I think a lot of women can get to a place and I've totally been there where it feels like Singleness is something that has been done to me, mm. and it's not something that I want. And because of that, I can feel like a victim to it.
0: Like, I think ugh. the interesting thing as well is that the narrative around, like from a you know government perspective or society as a wider thing, single people often aren't accounted for when it comes to you know benefits and taxes and um, you know facilities and planning for, for societies, how they work. Single people kind of fall through the cracks a bit and yet they yeah. they contribute like everybody else, but it's always families and parents and it, it's a really strange narrative. And I like yeah. that you sort of are working on this idea of owning singleness
1: yeah. as
0: it's okay to choose to be by yourself. And if you do want to meet a partner at some stage, then that's okay too, but yeah, it doesn't make you lesser than.
2: I just yeah. want to ask a question as well, if I can backtrack just a second, because I know that there'd be people listening that are single, that hear exactly what you've said just before, you know, how are you still single mm. and what would you say to them? What, you know, I'm sure you've got something that you A, say to the person <laughs> asking um, and B, what about those people that are listening going, oh my goodness, I get asked this all the time. I wish I had yeah. a good answer.
1: Yeah. So I say a couple of things and honestly, I keep it light. So the first thing I try to remember is this person is saying this to me because they care for me and they want this thing for my life that I probably want for my life. And so they're just curious. So it's actually, they're trying to make, it's trying to be a compliment, even though it can kind of feel like a backhanded compliment (laughs) (laughs) at times. And so just assuming positive intent, first of all, and then from there, knowing that this person is asking me this because they love me because they are invested into my life, then I can approach it not being defensive or bitter, but just with lighthearted and and fun. So I'll say, do you know anyone you can set me up with? I love a good (laughs) setup. Oh, I had just haven't met him yet. Do you know him? I'm I'm (laughs) down to date. Yeah. Uh, And Um, I also will say, yeah, no, I'm not in a relationship, but man, I just wrote this book that I'm super excited about. Or <laughs> I'm m- my relationship status is not the most important thing about me. Like, thanks so mm-hmm. much for caring ab- about that part of my life. But I would really love to share with you about this new workout I'm doing that I'm really excited about, or the house that I just bought. And so, gently reminding people that your relationship status not only is it not their business but that it's also not the most interesting part of who you are.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. Flip side is if you have a boyfriend, people don't go, so when are you going to be single?
2: (laughs) True, (laughs) unless he's an idiot. Yeah. Well, I feel like- they can say better days for you without (laughs) him.
0: But it's
1: always on to the next thing. So it's like, then you meet the person and then it's, when are you moving in? When are you getting married? When are you yeah. going to have a baby? Then you have the baby. When's the second baby?
2: When are you going to buy a house? Like, And then you have the third baby and then they say, what the heck were you thinking having you a having, third baby? Yeah, why are having baby. When are safe? you going to stop? <laughs> exactly. You talk about um, modern research and science proving that there's no such thing as casual sex. Yeah. Ooh. What? What?
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. I actually just had a conversation with a friend on another podcast today. And we were talking about this. And so I have a couple a couple different answers that I have for this. So the research I found was, I researched this woman named Helen Fisher. She's an anthropologist and she's not the only one, but she has some TED Talks that are out there that you guys can look up. But she talks about what happens neurologically in our brains when we experience orgasm and sexual intimacy. So when we experience orgasm and sexual intimacy with a partner, there's a lot going on hormonally and a lot of neurotransmitters being like released from our brains and in our bodies. So two of those are oxytocin and dopamine. Now, oxytocin is the, it's known as the feel good hormone. It's major purpose and design is to create a bond between you and another human.
0: We love and oxytocin, when it's released... Love it. What's that? We love oxytocin on this podcast. Oh. Don't worry. Oh,
1: love us some oxytocin. It's what's <laughs> released between a mother when she's breastfeeding her child. It's what happens when you hold hands or hug. And when that oxytocin is released, there are actual neuropathways being created in your brain to that are are like Um, bonding you to that person. So it's creating like a bicycle path in your brain that says like, we are connected to this other human. And then dopamine is a neurotransmitter from the reward center of our brain that acts like, oh, you did that thing and it felt really good. Like, let's do that thing again. And it's, kind of acts like the when a child is going to school for the first time and learning not to just blurt out answers and learning to raise their hand and the teacher will give them a gold star if they raise their hand. Well, the more gold stars they get, the more they know, oh, if I do this repeated good behavior, then this thing happens and pretty soon they don't need the gold star anymore. So that dopamine coupled with that oxytocin is like this... Magical elixir that releases <laughs> in our brain and in our neural pathways that really cause us to be bonded with another person, and so there's anthropologists and scientists like Helen Fisher don't believe that neurologically we can actually experience casual sex like our brains don't allow for it, and so that being said, I I have had casual experiences where I've made out with guys at bars or been on vacation and, and been like, I know this is just going to be like a fun make out on the dance floor right now. And that's fine. And I don't feel this, you know, crazy neural pathway connection with the person. And so I'm, I'm not here to say that like anyone who does casual sex or whatever is wrong. And it's, you're creating all these bonds with other people. I just think it's interesting to think about Mm. Oh, something actually chemically happens in our bodies when we experience sexual intimacy with another person. And you know that, so just
2: to be curious about that. Do you know what, to add another layer to that, mm. we have a reset every month when our period arrives.
0: Oh, so you can clear that casual well, sex sort of, thing out. <laughs> but it does, it said, it,
2: yeah, right? So It's said to reset that. But I guess if you repeat the habit or the habit, the the act with the same person, then you're (laughs) continuing, like you said, to create those pathways. But if you were to actually honor the process of the reset, it'd be very interesting to see what would happen for a lot of people. So, yes, the period actually is a reset that does offer or allow us to have a bit of a disconnect. And reset, and you might not go back again. <laughs> wow. If you know that, that um, is there is so some research that I, I was reading the other day about that, which I find interesting. That is interesting. I, so, I need mean yeah. to explore it a bit more, but yes.
0: So I wonder if you do have, let's call it casual sex with somebody, then like two weeks later, you get your period, you get your period yeah. and then you haven't seen that person for a while. then that sounds... they're out of the, you're out of, well, it, I think it does allow for that. It gives that you, to, you the chance to, to move on from them until you see them again and you're like, then mm, yeah, you do it maybe, again. Maybe and maybe you're not. Like, oh, <laughs> I got also, crab. I think well,
2: I wonder also men and women are very different when it comes to that as well. And women tend to feel, you know, mm, in, in intimate mo- moments, more emotional, more connected. Mm. And it's often for men, they're a little bit more removed or disconnected in the moment. They're a yeah. little bit delayed with the way that that works in their brain. Um, mm-hmm. So it's interesting that I think it's good to have these conversations because as young women, especially, I would have loved to have known that about myself.
0: I had no yeah. idea. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I mean, I get connected to people when it's not even sex. I mean, you know, like yeah, you have those when you watch Neighbours. No, <laughs> oh no, when I'm watching the TV show. <laughs> yeah, no, no, you no. get connected to television shows and characters though, <laughs> yeah, and then you it's do. like they're your friend. Yeah, yeah, they're your friends, and then they're gone. <laughs> no, I'm talking about you know how you have those friends though. You talk about the dopamine and the oxytocin. Like I've got friends who are real huggers, and I go to for that. Yeah. You know, and mm-hmm. it's not sexual, but it's. It's um, comforting, it's friendship, and you do. You you are giving each other that boost of oxytocin. Yeah. And, you know, COVID's kind of killed that because you can't hug anybody. But it is yeah. interesting that you can, you can get that intimacy without the intimacy, if you know what I mean.
1: Yeah. Well, and you brought up such a good point about COVID and the pandemic. I think that single people... Ha- we've all suffered. First of all, we've all suffered and all things being said, I have not suffered nearly to the extent as many people in this world. I'm, I'm grateful. And so I don't want to come across and be like, Oh, poor me. But (laughs) you know, being single in the pandemic has been so hard for so many people because it's, they've been in isolation. They've been alone. I had a friend that went four months without any physical touch. And I think that there are people that probably went longer than that and touch is healing mm-hmm. and engaging and it allows us to feel connected with ourselves and each other and the world around us. and so man, I think, a lot of people have had hard moments in the last year and a half and i my heart maybe it's cuz i am single goes out to the single women that i coach and serve who are like i like what do i do i'm like i don't know go get a massage if you can or ask a friend that you feel safe and it's it's like all they're doing is seeing like everyone who's working from home with their partner and their family and to feel all alone is really isolating. So I mm. I think it's been really tough for a lot of people.
0: Um my husband's not a hugger though. That's, oh, that's so I'm not a hugger, so it's fine. Yeah, <laughs> nice. what? Yeah, Wait, so you're a not, not a
1: hugger and then your husband isn't a hugger.
2: No, I'm a hugger. I, He's not a hugger. a hugger. He's not yeah. a hugger. I will hug and then, somebody and I've gotten much better at it, but it's not any nice thing for me to do. I don't I don't do that anymore. I try and, you know. <laughs> But at the same time, at the moment, like no, I have tried. I appreciate that other people really <laughs>
0: like that. I'm like, okay,
2: bye. Okay, great, well, you. Okay. As well, I and have... I've got
0: one who's a hugger and one who's not. And the the one who's not, she's a shocker. She will definitely she goes like stiff like a board when you right. say give me a hug, and I have to say, yeah. can I have a hug with arms?
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, my yeah. You see, I've got two kids that are huggers, but the most awkward is that the 13 year old mm. wants to be hugged like she was four. And it's oh, not always appropriate. Yeah. She wants to walk down the street holding cans. That's oh, all right. It's like, with, with like Your my girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> and which is fine. But it's sort of like, I don't want other people to look <laughs> at her and go, oh, there's that girl holding her mum's hand. And she's, yeah, who cares? She's, I, uh, Well, I mean, my dad still wants to hold my hand. Oh, I love that. I my dad
1: still, that. and that sometimes I'm like, I'll hold his hand, but I'm like, oh, does everyone think that I'm
2: just like, dating this guy that's like yeah <laughs> than me. What sugar daddy. Me? this
0: yeah. is my sugar daddy I Actually,
2: love that my real daddy yeah. <laughs> Kat, we're almost <laughs> out of time but um, we would love for our listeners to um, learn where they can access your book Sexless yeah. in the City and, and be able to look more at the work that you do yeah
1: for sure so my book is available on Amazon Kindle Audible anywhere where you purchase books and you can also learn more about it at sexlessinthecitybook.com. And there's a fun trailer and all those great stuffs. And then my Instagram is The Refined Woman. And same with my website, therefinedwoman.com. And I have a weekly podcast called The Refined Collective. And we're just about to drop a new season. And we just recorded some really incredible episodes on sex ed, on infidelity on the TV show Sex Life that sort of took Netflix by storm this past <laughs> summer so just feel really excited about this coming season so hope you guys can
2: love it give it a listen and join us awesome yeah. well thank you so much fashion yeah.
1: yeah yeah it's been so thank fun thank you so thank much you. for
2: taking the time to talk with us today i'm definitely going to go on I'm always looking for a new podcast to listen to these
0: days. Mm, oh, sure. I can suggest yeah. one. Considering yeah. we're on one. Yeah,
2: <laughs> You know what? I
1: As a podcaster, I don't listen to a ton of podcasts uh, neither do I. either. Well, it's hard to find the time. Yeah. It really is. But I've been listening to one called Man Enough with Justin Baldani. And it's all about what does it mean to be a man? And it's fascinating. Cool. I love, love it. So if you're looking you for a, a podcast, that's a... Love
2: that. Love that. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We'll let you go. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Great to meet you.
2: Listener.